0: Randy is living the story that you're likely putting in motion by listening to this show right now. He was able to leave his high-paying W-2 job and replace that income with completely passive investments. And in today's episode, he'll teach you how to fortify your passive portfolio and pick home run operators so you can follow his path. This is the Passive Real Estate Strategies Podcast, where we educate career-driven individuals who have tapped out their earning potential. Learn about passive real estate investing so you can continue building your wealth without compromising your time or taking on more responsibilities. I'm your host and managing partner at Realm Investors, a multifamily syndication group who has helped multiply millions of dollars for our passive investors. Thanks for tuning in and let's get on with the show. Hey investors, welcome back to another episode, Passive Real Estate Strategies. Today, I am sitting down with Randy Smith for the second time. I actually had Randy on the show uh, maybe a year ago at this point. Big hit guest, enormous passive investor guy. I mean, been so successful in this field for such a long time that I, you know, I knew I wanted to have him back again because uh, he's got some major updates and we have some major updates as it relates to you listening as a passive investor as well. So Randy, thanks so much for coming back on the show for the second time now.
1: Awesome, Justin. Glad to be here. Super excited to uh,
0: be back with your guest. Yeah. So, tell us. You know, for some people who may not have heard the the first episode, give us a little bit of a synopsis about your background. You were a high earning W two guy. You kind of got your feet wet in passive investing. You know, give us that journey.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, as you mentioned, I was, corporate America sales and sales leadership guy for twenty five years, primarily Fortune one hundred, Fortune two hundred companies, and and not like I I was not a job hopper. I had ten years with one major company. Another ten with another major company. So it was, um, you know, kind of steady performance, top performing sales guy. And in the last probably ten years of my career, I actually finally got the financial house in order and started uh, investing, actually started out as an active investor and I bought a, a bunch of properties in Kansas City and Atlanta, single family stuff. And uh, leveraged the burst strategy and the turnkey strategy in Kansas City. And then I found passive investing in syndication model through mobile homes and multifamily and self- storage, and just fell in love with it. So kind of switched gears and went really, really deep into the passive investing space. And, you know, as of today, I'm in eighteen different syndications as an LP, eight different operators, and I've got, Three more deals in the next two weeks potentially that I'm going to be invested in as well. So, so that was that's kind of the passive investing journey up to this yeah. point. That's fantastic. So, tell us, can you give us a little bit of insight about? So, you were
0: you know an active investor before, and you had some turnkey rentals, you Burr strategy to bit. and it sounds like you never lived in Kansas City, so this was remote for at least the turnkey stuff.
1: It was all remote for the Burr and for the turnkey. Okay. So it was it was anything but passive i will say yeah. that so Yeah, that's yeah. that's what i was going to ask you is because a lot of people
0: you know the reason why i mean the whole premise of why this show exists is to talk to people about truly passive strategy so i'm curious what your experience was because a lot of people they get into real estate investing thinking passive income right and there's only a few ways where you can really achieve that so even with turnkey rentals can you kind of tell us what the differences are now, after you stepped into a truly passive role as a limited partner in certain syndications or funds or whatever it may be, what's it like what what's the difference like between doing turnkey, which people generally think of as really passive, versus a truly passive type of investing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so I think, um, I mean, just by definition, the idea of passive, passive investing would be you wire the funds and then you start getting monthly checks. Like in, in my opinion, that is what passive investing should be. In the turnkey space, I think it's possible to be passive. You have to do a very good job with your due diligence on the operators and make sure that you're buying what, what I would consider passive assets in that space. So not class C, class D rentals that have tons of tenant issues and, mm. and kind of lower quality assets. And and certainly if you're gonna do the Burr strategy by design, that is a little more active because you're actually you're hunting out the assets, you're finding contractors, you're working with property managers. Ultimately you're managing a construction project. Yeah. Um, which all of that is super, super fun. But if you are a really, really busy professional and W two employee, you might not have the flexibility to jump away for a quick hour and a half conversation with the construction guy or make a quick flight out because the tenants or somebody moved out and they stole the air conditioner or whatever that <laughs> may be, right? Yeah. Um so all yeah, I like happened. All things that have happened. <laughs> all things that have happened. Yeah. So um yeah. So very, very different. Um and, the, and it's not to say that one's right or one's wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it's just very, very important for the investor to know like what what exactly are the resources they have available both dollars and time and then are they educated and are they skilled enough to do this because you know what i find is that most like um landlords or single family owners it it's kind of a mom-and-pop business and it's run like a mom-and-pop business whereas a syndication in either a large fund or a hundred unit apartment complex like it's an all out business that has the resources that are needed to make sure that it runs smoothly and your dollars are taken care of so
0: yeah i agree i mean i think you know there's really no wrong strategy there's just different strategies i truly believe um and if they're all executed well they're all going to perform well most of the time right they exist because yeah. they perform well when when done well but it's it's the money Constraint. It's the time constraint, and not just the time to actually do it, but the time to get educated on it and to stay educated on it, and to continue to yep. educate. You know, we always say education is not something you did; it's something you do to so stay really, really on top of that. So, yeah, I love the insight there. So, tell us. Right now, you are so diversified, both in assets and operators. I think you said about eight operators across close to twenty, and, and maybe
1: at this time next week, <laughs> a couple more assets. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. So I, um I. I am definitely diversified across operators. I am very heavily invested with one operator here in Phoenix. I have nine of my 18 investments with one of those operators here. Um, and I've actually, I've, I've started a partnership with them in the last six months as well to help introduce investors to them. But other than those nine, I have the other nine are spread across seven different operators. So I, I think it's important in really any type of investment to be diversified across not only different asset classes but different operators different geographies because each of the different asset classes have its own strengths and weaknesses when it comes to economic cycles and of course we all know like certain parts of the country either they lag the the economic trend or they're kind of at the forefront so i think it's important to spread your dollars across all of those different geographies, operators, and deals, and even with um, with a, a specific syndicator, like syndicators have home runs and they've got singles and doubles, and they might, you know, bunt or strike out every once in a while as well. So taking all of your nest egg and putting that into one investment is is not something I encourage anybody to do.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. And so I love what you said about the diversification because of market cycles as well. And if people tr- like really look into the market cycles that different towns or cities or states will go through, it's literally, you know, building up and then it kind of hits its peak and then it goes back down and then it kind of builds up again and it's peak. So, uh, right now, what are you seeing in terms of like what are the deals that you're excited to do this year? Is it, so you said a lot of yours are in, I don't know if you said this on recording or not, but just before the, the show was in Phoenix now, which a lot of those mm. are in. Are you still in Phoenix or are you feeling like, yeah, maybe Phoenix is, is outweighing its cycle. It might be time to look for something else. You know, where are you most excited about now?
1: Yes. Good question. And every evolving answer, I will say. I, I will say that most of the Sunbelt markets have strong fundamentals for um not only self storage but uh, primarily multifamily you start seeing net in migration being very very positive really in all of the sunbelt states yeah um so whether you're in Arizona or Texas or um Florida or the Carolinas I guess technically are considered yeah. sunbelt too um i th- i think the fundamentals still look very very strong here and i i will say even more important than not only just the msa i think it's important to take a look at the specific niche that you're in within that msa and i bring that up because uh, there's been a lot of a lot of publicity lately or a lot of news talking about this shift in rents and phoenix has actually been shown as one of those where we're starting to see the rents start to level off or even possibly decline And when you dig into the numbers and when I look at my specific investments and those in our niche, we're actually still seeing 10 or 12% year over year rent increases because we're in the value add play, right? Yeah. Um, Now, if you're class A with no value add to it, then yes, it is possible that we're going to see some dips, but we're seeing still just amazing upside on rent increases year over year with the assets that I'm working with here in Phoenix.
0: Yeah, no, I, I love that. I mean, it's so the different asset classes when you're talking about it sounds like you're mostly in value add kind of B C assets. Do you have any class A in your portfolio? I don't have any class A at all. Okay. No, you right? I, purpose, I, or would you do one if you if, if one came up came across your desk?
1: So I I would do class A if it was a development project, because ultimately that's the that's yeah. the biggest value add you could do. But in my where I'm at in my investing career and in my investing life cycle, I'm still in a growth phase, so I'm not looking for five to six to seven percent returns. Um, I'm looking for strong double digit returns with my dollars and I think um, you know as I start to mature in the space more and I have the nest egg that I'm comfortable with for the long run, I'll start to shift over to a class properties because those are going to be much more stable and provide much more consistent uh, cash flow. Where I want those to be,
0: got it. Okay, and so I think that's a really good strategy for how do people view classes because a lot of times, you know, some people might even get, uh, you know, visually attracted to those class A assets because they've got the super nice pool, the waterfalls coming down, the lazy river. We've even seen, oh yeah, and and that's kind of the trophy asset, right? But it has its place in an investor's portfolio, and so I love that you got that cleared up. So let's talk about those. Higher double-digit returns that you're looking for when you're investing in properties. So, what have you seen? Because you've been doing this for quite some time now. How many years have you been investing passively at this point? It's a it's a few years now at this point. So okay. So what have you seen in terms of have returns really changed since you've started investing? Are you seeing maybe less cash flow but you know higher IRR deals? Are you looking for that big pop where you're selling deals in you know three to five years, or are you seeing Deals go longer now, maybe even because of unstable financing environments, or how do you see the evolution of the deals that you've invested in?
1: Yeah, yeah, good question. It's and and I think it's funny that um I, I think somebody sold like a PPR or not a PPM, but a uh investor deck for like ninety-nine bucks somewhere. And it was, you know, four to six percent cash on cash year one, fifteen to twenty percent IR over the course of a five year performer that's what everybody's performer looks like. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think the the more important question to ask with people is not what do their performers look like, it's what have they actually done, right? So what have they performed and provided their investors? And and that's a, a more telling story than what their guesstimates or performer are going to show. So now, certainly with increasing interest rates, we're not seeing you know, 12 month turns or 14 month Mm -hmm. turns. Like I got to experience Mm -hmm. early on. Mm -hmm. I think in Phoenix, I think the value add play is still going to be has the potential to be in the three to four year range. And really depending on how quickly we see interest rates shift or at least stall out. I think Mm -hmm. that'll be the big tail as to, um, to what this is going to look like over the next 18 to 24 Mm -hmm. months. So it's, it's really too early to say what it's going to be, but, um, you know, all things are leading to a softening in the increasing in rates. I think I just heard, I don't know if it was announced yet today, but I think they were mumbling that we're talking about a 25 basis point increase today or tomorrow. And if that's the case, then we're moving in the right direction and we could potentially see cap rates start to to move back in the right direction for the value I play.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and there's there's so many whispers about financing. What's going on now? And all investors are gripping at any kind of uh, employment reports or jobs added or or lost uh, for the month reports. And and we're still seeing some growth. So you know, I think there is still some runway that the Fed's going to keep on running and keep on running, um, and probably overdo it as they've historically done. Uh, And then you know, we'll kind of cycle back. So, um, but no, I I love the insight. I think there's so much. Again, it's education is not something you did; it's something you do. You know, guys like us have mm-hmm. to stay educated on these things, and maybe for that passive investor, you, you don't want to have to bother with a lot of these these nuances. So it's great to find find great operators um, who stay on top of those things. So I, I do want to talk about finding those operators because that's so much of the due diligence piece for that passive investor. I mean, we hear it all the time. You know, a great operator can make a a poor deal pretty good and a poor operator can make a great deal kind of tank and and really hit it. So, yeah, yeah, tell me about what you look for in operators. You kind of alluded to, you know, their track record, which is fantastic. So you look for their track record in terms of returns. What other things are you looking
1: for when you're potentially meeting somebody new for the first time or before? Yeah, so so I I am, um, you know, having worked for larger organizations the majority of my career, I I am a big brand guy. I like big organizations. I like big companies. I I know there can be some inefficiencies there and it's hard to turn a big shift, but but I like bigger, fully integrated organizations that can control as much of that business plan as possible. So I like to see integrated property management. I like to see integrated construction management. And it's interesting, you know, track record, a lot of people will say that Yes, I think track record is important. I think track record is transferable though from different industries as well. And, and people have different opinions about that, but I'm a firm believer that, you know, Eagles soar with Eagles. Top performers don't generally just jump out of nowhere. There's usually a long track record leading up of um, past success in either prior roles or even education or sports or whatever the case may be. So I think Yes, I want to see people that have been in this business, and or at least have a partner that's been in the business for a long time. And then I think it's important to dig back into their resume to see what they did prior to this. Um, yeah, and with my with my background in sales leadership for twenty five years or so, like I interviewed, I don't hundreds and hundreds of people. <laughs> I I don't know how many exactly, but um, I love to go back in somebody's resume and really like like nitpick about the details about that because um, people will start to fudge numbers and and exaggerate results. and when when you really dig into those details, you can find out those those kind of details. And I think um, not to go on with this, but it, it's this is the most important thing that we do as passive investors is is vet the operator. And yeah. um, even even if somebody has an outstanding track record, even if somebody can provide you three to five investor people that you can reach out to, to talk about their amazingly wonderful experience with you. Cause it always it, is. Us <laughs> once, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to, to watch people and be around people for uh, an extended amount of time, because over time people will always show their true selves and, you know, anybody can perform well for one conference call or one, one conference out, you know, in, in, in sure. Vegas or something like that. But, to spend time with people over time, six months, nine months, twelve months, um, you will see their true personality come through and see how they perform when things get sticky and complicated and and not uh, rainbows and unicorns. So I like to I like to date for a while.
0: Hey investor, really quickly, if you're enjoying the show, please, please, please consider giving us a five star rating and review on the platform you're listening on. It really does help us reach more people just like you who want to build their wealth without taking on more responsibility or sacrificing more hours. It's one of the greatest compliments a podcaster like me can receive. Thank you so much in advance. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's great, you know, insight. And so when you say have that, that time with that person, how do you get that as a passive investor? Is this kind of after you've invested? And so, okay, there's a little bit more contact. You might talk with them monthly until your, your property sells, or is this something that you do before, where maybe you want to be on their email list for a couple of months, and then you want to schedule a call and just, you know, pick their brain about something. If you're local, get coffee, you know, what does that process look like for that, you know, that dating period, like you said?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So all of the above, I would say, um, I think a strong referral plays in very, very well as well. So if I have somebody that I know, like, and trust that know likes and trust this person as well, that will help me to check some of those boxes. But I, I will never have somebody reach out to me on LinkedIn and try to schedule a call and then invest with them immediately. It's a much longer process than that. And and yes, I, I want to see email communication. It's interesting how many people, they kind of go dark for a while. They'll They'll get their project. They'll raise their money and then they go dark for six to nine months or 12 months while they're running their business and then they they raise their hand again because they got another deal coming and they need to raise some more money I really want somebody who's got the systems in place to be out in front of their investors on a regular basis regardless of where they're at in their deal cycle yeah um but again that just, that comes, comes with God. larger
0: the sales guy, exactly. right? <laughs> You're looking at the follow up and the nuances and see if their systems are down. Yeah, dropping off the face of the earth is the worst thing you could do with a guy with a sales background like yours.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's a big deal. Like people that do what they say they're going to do, when they say they're going to do it, how they say they're going to do it, unreturned voicemails, unreturned text, unreturned emails, like all of that stuff is like uh, fingers on a chalkboard to me. I just, I don't like, I, it, I, I'm a, a bull in a China shop. Like when I ask a question, I want it answered. I kind of, I'm high DI, so I am high maintenance, but those are the type of deals or in the types of folks that I like to work with as well. So. Yeah.
0: It's interesting because, because you are that way that, um and, and again, this is, I've talked about this before on, on the podcast is you know, picking that large organization versus that small, maybe more intimate one. Um, and again, just like most things, there's not a right or wrong answer. It's totally mm-hmm. up to preference. So I'm surprised that that you like that bigger organization when you maybe want things a little bit quicker, which again, it's, it's no problem. I just think that that's interesting. And so you find mm-hmm. maybe safety with that larger organization. Have you heard from other people's experience with small stuff that has kind of turned you off to that, that side of the syndication, or is it more just... Hey, you kind of know what you like, and you're going to stick with that.
1: Yeah, and actually, that's a really, really good question. I um, now that I've been much more intimately involved in deals, and I'm getting very well networked in the space. Not only here in Phoenix, but now kind of at a national level with with some of the branding stuff that I'm doing. It's really interesting to see there's a lot of folks out there, a lot of operators that you know spent their thirty or fifty grand with the local guru. And they've got um, the big personality that they throw on their deck um, to add some credibility to the deals that they're doing, but those guys are not really involved in the deal. And it comes down to somebody who's got six months in a mentorship program that's actually managing that business, and that scares me. You know, I I walked a property a couple of weeks ago, and this was a guy here in Phoenix that has six or seven properties. He grew really, really fast, and. Um, he's now upside down 200 grand a month on this property because he didn't get a cap rate on or a rate cap on his loan and uh, those investors are going to lose money um and that scares me so you, you don't learn that stuff by having a 30 minute call with a guy who happens to be you know a really good sales guy you learn that stuff by watching him over time and and learning and getting educated and knowing what it is that you're investing your money into so it's And and I share this stuff not to scare people, but it's just, you know, when I first started in the space to think about what it took me to raise 25 or 50 grand, Mm -hmm. um, personally, while I had a W2, like that could have been a year or a year and a half or two years to save that money up. So do the due diligence and get comfortable with these people. You're, you're marrying these folks for three to five years and, um, you know, you want to make sure they're going to be a good steward of your money.
0: I think, uh, you know, I, I know that you said you don't want to scare people, but you know, fear is is a great teacher. And I think that's really important because these little things like a rate cap that we would balk at banks say, why are you making me buy this, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars rate cap? And now if you want to get it, it's
1: $200,000 or, <laughs> or a million.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 Or I mean, they've, you know, literally 5X or 10X in some, you know, the like Grant Cardone did. They 10X these freaking rate caps. Um, <laughs> and so Little nuances that, and even operators, just can't learn. You mentioned mentorship programs. You know, I graduated from mentorship program. I'm a huge believer in mentorship, uh, both and formal and informal. But you just cannot cover those things in mentorship program. It just won't happen. You can't cover everything. These things yeah. come up, and operators learn, and investors learn. And that's why guys like me and you have podcasts. We talk about real estate all day, every day. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this has been a fantastic, you know, talk about passive investing. I love having you on the show. You always have such incredible insights. Um, I've, you know, gave people your name and, and your your links to your LinkedIn and your bigger pockets. Uh, so this has been fantastic having you on. For those listeners out there, you know, how else can they get a hold of you and who should maybe reach out and get in touch?
1: Yeah. So really my my avatar is kind of that high income W-2 um specifically sales guys who who I connect with usually the best but um really any any high income professional uh, um my website is impactequity.net i do have a free giveaway top 10 questions to ask a syndicator before investing with them but i do probably most of my kind of social media on linkedin and that's where i put all of my content it's where i have been networking for 20 years so it was just kind of logical for me to kind of go deep in that space when when I uh, jumped into the entrepreneur side as yeah. well of this business, so yeah, and and it's
0: fantastic profile. Um, anybody listening, you know, a lot of people you follow on social media, they kind of post cookie cutter stuff. You can tell they probably made a canvas from template and they switched out the title or something. Uh, Randy's stuff is fantastic, so follow Randy uh, LinkedIn. Definitely recommend it. Great information, right to you. And we're going to put a link to Randy's LinkedIn and to your website in the show notes. So listeners, go down there, follow Randy. While you're there, of course, if you haven't already, make sure you download our free book, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, Randy. Any final thoughts from you?
1: No, I would just say, um, yeah, actually, I guess yes. Um, I would just say to the audience, just continue educating yourself, Um, but don't educate yourself like into the point of analysis paralysis. At some point, this is a very very simple business like we're essentially flipping apartment complexes in in the space that I'm in so um, make a decision jump in invest and I'm pretty confident after you start seeing the returns that you can get from the space you're gonna you're gonna come back to this space time and time again so that'd be my advice I love it listeners thank you so much for tuning in and Randy thanks for coming on. all right thanks
0: Justin. well that's it for today's show make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you're looking to learn more about passive real estate investments, make sure you head to our show notes and download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies, where we reveal the ins and outs of the truly passive ways to invest in real estate. We'll see you on the next episode.